Now, the most important thing I'm going to say today is this. If you win the heart, the mind will follow. Because the heart will always create logic to justify what the heart has already decided. When the heart and the mind will follow, just make people like you. Make people wish they knew you better. Make people wish they lived next door to you and could just chat with you anytime they wanted to, you know, walk across the yard. And they will buy from you. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you once again, and we are looking forward to bringing on Roy H. Williams to the show today. That's right. The Wizard is joining us for a conversation about how to make yourself a better marketer. And that is from a business perspective as well as from a personal perspective. And we're looking forward to that conversation. But first, we're going to break down that idea for you ourselves, and we're turning to Brian for our quote. A good story often increases the saleability of an item without increasing its actual value. Roy H. Williams. All right. All right. So that's what I'm talking about right there. It's the story that goes with it that really brings a lot of impact, right? Yeah, it's more, it's crazy. But how many items can you think of that have that? Like, I forget, what is that chateau, that bottle of wine that someone had that was like from the, I don't know, from... Oh, well, there was one in particular that it was actually from Abraham Lincoln's own stock sale, uh, a bottle of Chateau Merlot. Was this still good? Um, they weren't going to drink it. But, oh. <laughs> but this guy brought it to a party. <laughs> Got right? it. And the waitress knocked it off the table. Oh, my <laughs> word. Do we, have a, do we have a sound clip for gl- glass breaking? We, we need to get one of those stacked. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> That's what I did when I heard that story. <laughs> that's a misappropriate sound clip right there. But we're still going. I don't think that's uh, that going to stop. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a bottle of wine that's a couple hundred years old is going to be expensive, I'm guessing, regardless. But you add the story to, like, to what changes about the bottle or the wine in it because Abraham Lincoln held it? What's different about it? The story. What changes? Okay. Thanks, Nate. No, I'm I'm serious. That's what it is. What's <laughs> right? The, what's what the, changes about the actual physical glass or the wine inside it? Because Abraham Lincoln held it before. You're right. Nothing. Nothing. But it's got a story to it. So how much more valuable is it as a result? Now that begs the question. I mean, like you, you know, you have baseball bats that were uh, that were swung by Mickey Mantle and all that type right, of stuff. Right. Like, does it actually mean anything? You know, the, the last ball that Tom Brady threw that that guy dropped 500K on. Ouch. And then he announced he was and coming back. And then he announced he was coming back. <laughs> Tried to sell it back for like a buck 50. <laughs> I mean, there you could say like that probably means something because it's a register, you know, you can verify that that was actually the ball that he threw and all that. But it like, ain't going to be no half million dollars though. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, when somebody touched something or this was like somebody's, 
you know, personal, private, whatever, like, does it matter? Like, would you spend extra money for that? Would I? Yeah. I'm not sentimental like that. No? Only if I thought it was going to be a good investment. No, that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. But it's the value, which is actually another quote that... Uh, maybe maybe Boy Tom Williams. Brady, Michigan quarterback, uh, uh, most oh Super Bowl winning quarterback of all time. That came from the Michigan Wolverines. Hey, Brian. Maybe. Hey, Brian, did, uh, did the Eagles beat the Patriots in that Super Bowl a couple years ago? I wouldn't know. I'm not an Eagle or a Patriot fan. Yeah? Okay. Tell you. Well, I, yeah, I just want to bring it up because I'm pretty sure that they be. Oh, was it they playing a backup quarterback too? Because I, I, I think I they were. Can't say I remember. Yeah, yeah. Big uh, Nikki Six took Tom Brady to the task. How did uh, How did Penn State do in the Big Ten Conference this past? Are we switching subjects because we were talking about the professional <laughs> football league? Oh, Michigan won that Big Ten Conference. This okay, year. okay, got it. Got it. Anyways, back to advertising and stories, which you have plenty of over there, Brian. Uh, stories is something that creates a picture, a mental image in your mind that drives a certain level of inspiration. Or it can work the other way and drive a certain level of fear or perhaps disgust, right? But whatever it is, the story that you're painting, the art that you're conveying moves people. That's why things like music, paintings, and the like have such impact on people's lives because it creates an attachment to the emotion, which is one of the things that Roy Williams is actually really uh, big on. And I think he's going to bring that up today. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But the picture, the art, the story tied to a product, tied to an experience can help somebody overcome their concerns about the financial impact, their concerns about other things that are going to be addressed in the problem or not addressed in the problem. Um, the picture of what the end result looks like can be so impactful. And, and, and you know, to kind of wrap that up, like how do, your, how do your clients know what they're going to feel like after you fix something for them? Are you painting that picture? And when I say painting that picture, I mean using your words to explain to them the benefit of the product, the benefit of the solution, how they're going to feel, how their family members are going to feel, how their pets are going to feel, how the Joneses next door are going to feel, et cetera, et cetera. All those things painted out in a verbal painting can make a difference to them and can mean the difference between moving forward and I'd like to think about it. Have you ever heard his uh, the Wizard of Ads podcast? It's the Monday morning memo that he's been writing forever. That's uh, the six-minute one like or the really, yeah. the really short yeah. one? Yes, yes. I don't, I don't know how this, maybe let's bring this up to him because I don't really understand how the podcast works, but it's, it's like six or seven minutes a week. I'm happy to promote it, you know? Man, I think <laughs> it's, you, it's, you have six or seven minutes just in uh, your own dialogue in our podcast every week. <laughs> certainly hope so. That's like an hour and I'm, a half. I'm trying to work it down though. I keep cutting out parts, <laughs> pieces of your conversation. You just haven't realized it yet. Yeah. So it's, it's like six or seven minutes every Monday. And it's the Monday morning memo that he writes and has been writing forever. And and it's a, we'll talk to him about it, but it, it's a cool website it takes you to. And you go down this rabbit hole to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing every week. And my favorite one was from June. It, it was, uh, actually I have to look the name up. It was called Inside the Box or Out? Question mark. Inside the Box or Out? And he talked about, and, you know, by all means, go listen to the podcast, get it downloaded and get it every week because it's such an inspirational, cool, um, it's like a journey. Every one of these little six minutes, six minute episodes is like a journey you go on. Um, but he talks about 
being new, surprising, and different in your marketing. And so I, you know, I take these things like this is how you're going about your marketing. And I, I always relate it to technicians. You know, I do the presentation training for our uh, three, three brands here. And that's what Wednesdays and Thursday mornings look like. And then Friday mornings, we role play what we talked about the previous two days. So I did a morning meeting called new surprising and different. And I usually relate the things to the technicians, but when I actually heard this one, I was waiting at a little restaurant nearby for lunch, meeting my wife at a place called core life. And he's just like, if you want to bore your customers, just give them exactly what they expect. But if you want to, you know, like pleasantly surprise them and wow them and make them fall in love with you, Give them something new, surprising, and different. And right as he said that part, my wife pulls up next to me, hops out of the the Highlander and goes walking out. So what do I usually do? I'll give her a little kiss on the cheek. She'll give me a kiss on the cheek or whatever, and we'll just start walking in together. We won't make a big deal out of things, you know, and uh, it's very expected, very mundane. So this time I was like, I wonder if I can like get her to blush, you know, not that kind of blush. (laughs) <laughs> Nate just started blushing. And so I just wrapped my arms around her real quick and I hugged her by, you know, with hugging her, picked, kind of picked her up into the air and just held her there for a second. And, uh, you know, I saw in the reflection on the glass as we were walking in that she had a big old smile. And we've been together for 22 years, uh, 21 years, sorry. 21 years, we got four kids, been through it all, you know, not a whole lot of surprises our way these days. But it made her blush, and I asked her later. She had gotten butterflies in her stomach. She's like, it was it was unexpected. I'm like, cool, thank you, Mr. Williams. <laughs> I would say, let's let's tell him that story. Marriage counseling available. Roy is a talker, so I don't know how much we're going to get to. That's <laughs> and, and like what he has to say, so much more impactful than what we have to say. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm going to unplug your <laughs> mic as soon as he starts talking, and uh, I'm just going to keep him going, and you can join us afterwards. Okay? okay, that sounds good. So, yeah, it was it was just in that moment. It was new, surprising, and different. had a huge impact on someone that I see every day talked about it with our techs and we you know we gamed up a little bit on how can we do this with our clients but it's a it's an amazing concept it's a, certainly an amazing podcast and then if you go check out the website the mondaymorningmemo.com there's a lot of stuff to dig into there well you are right Brian there is a lot to dig into and we're hoping to accomplish some of that digging ourselves on this show uh, with that and no further ado we're going to put Roy H Williams in your passenger seat Our guest today is none other than Roy H. Williams. He is a lifelong student of humanity and spent a quarter century and more asking what makes people do the things that they do. And he's been using the things that he's learned to stimulate miraculous growth for his small business clients for more than 25 years. He's written multiple books as well as the Monday Morning Memos. And those books include The Wizard of Ads, Secret Formulas of the Wizard of Ads, Magical Worlds of the Wizard of Ads, as well as Accidental Magic, many of those becoming bestsellers or highly anticipated books on Wall Street Journal. With 40 branches spanning several countries, the Wizard of Ads Incorporated is now serving and advertising and marketing needs of business owners around the globe. 
Known to his readers simply as The Wizard, the elusive Roy H. Williams teaches creative thinking, writing, and persuasion to journalists, educators, ministers, and business people around the world. We are excited to have Roy on the show today. Welcome, Roy. Hey, it's good to be here, guys. I, uh, I've, been th- I've been looking forward to this for several days. We've been looking forward to this probably since we started the, the podcast. As you know, it's a, it's a trade-focused podcast, uh, primarily mm-hmm. electrical plumbing and HVAC, but we, we do work for a one-hour Benjamin Franklin, Mr. Sparky brand ourselves, and obviously mm-hmm. are partial to that, and we know and definitely want to get into at some point how influential you were in the in the creation of those brands and and really how much impact oh. you had on this industry as a whole okay um i can't speculate on the impact i've had in the industry but uh, i can definitely remember history i mean i can i can tell you about the early days with uh jim and john we'd sure love to hear about that why don't you start even earlier than that and just kind of give us your background where where did you come from how did you get into what you're doing now and what's your story? Okay. Um, I'm going to give you guys, uh, normally I give people the reader's digest version, but I'm going to give you the Oxford English dictionary. Um, <laughs> you know, the full 28 volume version. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> and, and here's, here's, here's how it starts. Um, my wife and I, um, have been close friends since we were 14 years old and uh, we got married at 18. Um, we both had scholarships to college. We both went to school in a little town called Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Now she was in the honor society and I graduated in the bottom one third of the class because I just really didn't like school. And then uh, my first day of college, I said, I don't think this is what I want to do. I thought that when you got to college, you got to meet the, like the really interesting teachers and stuff. And I said, these are kind of the same people I've been, you know, they've been boring me for 12 years and uh, I'm just not feeling it. So I called Penny and I said, hey, listen, why don't you uh, quit college? I said, I already did. I quit earlier today. It was actually my <laughs> second day. I quit. <laughs> quit on the second day. I said, Carlos, why don't, why don't you drop out and we'll get married? And she said, well, we're so young and poor. Why don't we wait a couple years? And you know, she's two and a half hours away at a different college. And I said, well, in two years, you're still going to be young and poor. And she said, well, you make a good point. So we got married 46 years ago. And wow. I went back to my job in a steel fabrication shop. We made these uh, huge, huge, huge oil field coolers for uh, oil and natural gas. It comes out of the ground really, really hot. And these are gigantic radiators, you know, 40 feet long and 12 feet wide. These huge, huge fans in them. And I've been doing that all through high school, you know grinding and welding and pressure testing with water and um, went back to that. And then finally, I started a little thing. Um, I, I had to lease. There's no such thing. This was so long ago, guys, so very long ago. There was no such thing as answering machines. You could not buy an answering machine. Uh, you could lease from the telephone company for like $50 a month, uh, a Codafone 111. And this was announced only. You pick up the handset, you had a little button that had a permanent tape in there, like an eight-track kind of a deal. And it would put a little tone on the tape that would tell where to begin and end. And you hold the button down, you'd record whatever you wanted, and you lift your finger up. It put the tone on the tape, and when somebody called that number, they would hear this outgoing message, but they couldn't leave a message. 
And so I, I, I leased one of those. And I started a little thought for the day, okay? And I would get up every morning. I worked from 6A to 6P. Uh, and then we only worked half days on Saturday, you know, which was uh, 6A to noon. So I'm doing 66 hours a week in the steel fabrication shop. And I get up a couple hours early every morning, about 4 a.m., to write and record a little encouraging message for the day. And pretty soon, people were getting busy signals. So I had a little digital counter. It wasn't digital exactly. It was a little rollover thing. I had really old cars, you know, on the odometer, a little mechanical thing. And I could press a button and reset it every day. And I, I finally realized, wow, as soon as somebody hangs up, somebody else is getting on there. And people are getting busy signals. And I was hearing about it from people. And so I had to get another line, a rollover line, and another machine. And pretty soon, a big chunk of my paycheck is going to the phone company and the leasing of these machines. Because remember, I'm making $3.35 an hour. And we have like a $150 phone bill. That's That's real money. And of course, there's no income because I wasn't asking anybody to support this in any way. And that, gentlemen, is how I learned to write. Mm. If you do it seven days a week for a few years as a young person and you, you write down your thoughts and you try to encapsulate really big, really complicated ideas, you try to encapsulate it in very few words and make it really clear. You spend a couple of hours to record something that's going to be maybe 90 seconds, okay? You've got to get it edited. You've got to get it, you know, organized. And so then I said, man, I need to make some money. And so I went to the radio station, and I said, is there anything I could do? And they said, yeah, you can come once a week in the middle of the night. You come at uh, midnight on Saturday night. <laughs> no, excuse me. It wasn't Saturday night. It was Friday night. You come at midnight on Friday night, and we'll pay you uh, $3.35 an hour, which is minimum wage in those days, and we'll pay you three thirty-five an hour to work from midnight Friday night until 11 a.m. Saturday morning. So I'm coming home at the end of the day Friday. Penny and I are married now, and I, I would drop in the bed. So I got home from work, 6 p.m. on Friday, sleep until about 11, get about five hours, crawl out of bed, drive to the radio station, stay up all night long, changing tapes, stringing up the next tape and hitting the start button at a little radio station that had no microphone. I didn't even get to talk on the air. Just string up the tape and hit the button and answer the phone. And believe it or not, the phones ring a lot in the middle of the night, you know, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. And what happened was I had a lot of time to think and write. And one day they come wandering in. I'd been there about a year. And they were just over overflowing with, with ads they needed to write. The general manager said, man, can you write a couple of ads for us? He just gave me some notes. You know, stuff scribbled on the back of a napkin. And then when the, when the professionals that worked there saw these ads, they said, wow, wow, where in the world did you learn how to write? And I never mentioned to them. I've been getting up every morning, seven days a week for the past few years, trying to write big ideas in very few words. And so they offered me a job. And I took it, and about a year later, I was incredibly, literally known nationwide as a radio salesperson. I didn't know anything about anything other than how to take big ideas and, and, and condense them down into the fewest words that would have the highest impact and the most ability to open people's thoughts and, you know, their hearts and minds. And so 
people would buy from me just to get my ads. And so then they made the horrible mistake for all of us. They decided I'd be a really good general manager. So <laughs> when, I was, when I was 26 years, I'm the worst manager that ever walked the earth. I'm telling you, I have no talent for managing. I'm the wrong guy. I, I don't even manage the company that I own today. And so um, I said, well, okay, if you think so, I'll give this a shot. And like 90 days later, 120 days later, I said, you know, you can keep the cheese. Just let me out of the trap. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't <laughs> want to do this. They said, well, we're going to transfer you to Los Angeles because we think you're doing a great job. I said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to L.A. And they said, yeah, we can make you a general manager in Los Angeles. And I said, nope, not doing it. I quit. And they said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, we know. I'm convinced that people aren't buying from me because they want to be on our station. I think they're buying from me because they want me to write their ads. And so I did that. I started a business and said, here's how this is going to work. And this is weird, guys. This is like unheard of in the advertising business. But I said, look, I'm going to write your ads, but here's the deal. I'm not going to work by the hour because gunfighters don't charge by the bullet. I'm going to make a big difference in your company, and I'm going to work for a flat salary. And we agree on, a, on an amount that they thought was a bargain. Here's how much you're going to pay me every month, and one year from now, you're either going to fire me or you're going to give me a raise equal to the percentage that I've grown your top line. Top line. So if you have a guy doing a million a year, and in one year he's doing a million eight, well, now he owes you an 80% raise, okay? And this was not even contractual. I've never had a contract that said people are obligated to continue paying me. Now you fire me anytime you want to. Same with all my partners. So, you know, you can let us go anytime you want. If this is America. If you think you can pick it up where we left off, and if you feel like we've taught you enough that you can do this on your own, then go ahead. Do it on your own. Um, and here's why I have that confidence. Now, this is going to sound brash and egotistical, but did you know the U.S. Census tells us there are 5.91 million businesses in America with fewer than 100 employees. Now, that doesn't include the 17 million sole proprietorships, you know, Bob of Bob's Radiator Repair, Bob speaking, you know what I mean? Doesn't include 17 million of those. Right. So people have employees with fewer than 100, 5.91 million. Guys, the need for better advertising is everywhere. Everybody knows their advertising is not paying off like it should. So I've got a lot of clients now I've held for over 30 years, and most of them are paying, paying me anywhere from 40 to 60 times as much every month as they originally had to pay me. And remember, they can they can fire me at any time. And so when you think long term and you say, let's grow this business together and let's let's continue to market and promote every week, 52 weeks in a row. And so a lot of the biggest jewelry stores in America, a lot of the biggest, you know, HVAC companies and funding companies are clients of ours. And here's what those have in common when and law firms, things like that, you know. But here's what they have in common, guys. This is what nobody ever thinks about. <clears throat> it's called the purchase cycle. I work with companies very specifically that have a very expensive ticket. It's a very expensive product. 
that everybody or most people at least are going to need sooner or later. But very, very, very few people need it today. That's called a long purchase cycle. And so if a business has a long purchase cycle, then the only way you can grow, well, the only way you can grow efficiently, okay, is to be the company the customer thinks of first and feels the best about whenever they need what you sell. And you can't wait until they need it to reach them. Then you're just a face in the crowd. You have to reach them before they need what you sell. And you have to win their hearts. Now, the most important thing I'm going to say today is this. If you win the heart, the mind will follow. Because the heart will always create logic to justify what the heart has already decided. When the heart and the mind will follow, just make people like you. Make people wish they knew you better. Make people wish they lived next door to you and could just chat with you anytime they wanted to, you know, walk across the yard. And they will buy from you. They will, that pricing doesn't matter, you know, stuff doesn't matter. They will, they will find their own logic to do business with you. Now, I specifically avoid businesses with a short purchase cycle. Now, things that have a short purchase cycle are like food and anything that would fall into the category of entertainment. We're always looking for something good to eat, and we're always looking for, I mean, every day. It's a daily, it's a one-day, it's a 24-hour purchase cycle. Sometimes it's like a 12-hour purchase cycle. And so anything that people need really, really often, I don't want to be in that business. I don't want to be in the business of working with companies that still have a big ticket, and a high profit margin, and everybody's going to need them someday, but almost no one needs them today. Long purchase cycle. Now, I've rambled for a very long time now. I need you guys to talk. <laughs> That's so good, Roy. <laughs> and we're just sitting back here like, basking in the the wisdom of what you're saying, because that's exactly our industry. I mean, whether you're a plumber, electrician, or HVAC tech, the likelihood of you seeing the same client, unless they're under like some type of membership, more than once a year is, uh -huh. is pretty rare. I mean, it, now but, you mentioned, you mentioned you guys are, uh, you have a, you have a one hour, you work with a one hour franchise, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Tribe. We're, we're all three here. And when we work with your partners, um, Charlie Moger and Peter Nevlin, Peter being the one who put us in contact with you, which we greatly appreciate cool. Peter. Yeah. Charlie and Peter are awesome. I mean, you, you really scored when you, when you snagged those two guys. We They're agree. Amazing. And so um, I have a friend in San Antonio that's uh, a one-hour uh, franchise partner. And here's what, here's what anybody that knows anything about, you know, marketing uh, air conditioning knows how much the average company is spending on um, online lead generation, basically Google ads, okay? So imagine last month, uh, the company did $4 million with less than $20,000 in digital spend. Unheard of, unthinkable, because most air conditioning companies are waiting and waiting until the customer's in the market for the product, and then they want to buy all these keywords and pay all this money for clicks, and then hope they have a good conversion rate, you know, good close rate with those leads. And I'm going, you know, the only way that you can have a, an unbelievably high efficiency with your online marketing 
is if people type your name into the search engine. That's called a branded keyword. Unbranded keywords are like air conditioning repair. If a person types in air conditioning repair, that means they have no preferred provider. They have no favorite in the category. So they just type in air conditioning repair and everybody shows up. And it's a very expensive click. And they're going to click, 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 look at lots of companies and then finally choose one to call first. And um, ultimately, they're going to choose one that can send the uh, truck the quickest. Okay. And I'm saying, you know, you have to have them type your name into the search block. And when they do, that's a cheap click. All you have to do is buy your own name, buy the name of your company, or if you have a mass media campaign with what we call some brandable chunks, you make sure you, you buy your brandable chunks because if somebody types in um, one of the little phrases that is a signature phrase of the ad campaign, you want your ad to pop up. It's just another way of them typing in your name, okay? And so we've watched him grow from like a million a year to over 40 million. Uh, he'll tickle, he won't, he won't hit 50, but he'll get in the, he'll be in the mid 40s this year, which is not bad for a guy that started from absolutely zero not that many years ago. That is incredible, Roy. And I'm just thinking here through what you're saying there, the brandable chunks piece you know, for our, our audience, I mean, I'm, I'm sure quite a few of our audience is probably not as familiar with you as perhaps we are. Uh, your name is, you know, legendary uh, amongst advertising and marketing and those types of things. But uh, can you explain the concept of brandable chunks and how you have changed that? You know, give us a practical example of what that looks like in the actual marketplace. Okay. Now, a lot of these brandable chunks I'm going to share. And the reason I didn't give you examples already is because... Anytime I speak or write publicly and I give people examples, they want to borrow from those examples, <laughs> right. which, is, which is very, very, very dangerous to do because all of this stuff is copyrighted and a lot of registered trademarks on a lot of this stuff. And I mean, circle R, you know, which is not like TM. TM means, eh, I consider this to be mine and I can sue you if you steal it. Circle R is different. That means registered. That means the United States government has already done their due diligence and said, yeah, this is absolutely yours. Nobody else is using this. And from this moment forward, nobody else has the right to use it. And you don't need to have a trial. You automatically win because you're the owner of the Circle R. Does that make sense to you guys? Got it. Yep. So I'm going to give you guys some, some Circle R stuff. And I just shared all that so that people would, would understand. In the last, oh, 18 months, I had two different clients. And people decided to transcribe some of their stuff that was on YouTube. Some of the ads they had on YouTube, they just said, oh, we're going to transcribe that. And then we're going to shoot it. We're not going to use their ads. We're just going to, you know, use, use, the, use the script. Well, the federal courts have already decided that each script um, is an automatic penalty of $150,000. Yikes. And so one company made the horrible mistake of, of and they valued these scripts at that. So when I give these guys these chunks, okay, this is what I'm saying. Please, 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 please don't think these are yours to use. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so it will work out very, very badly for you. And so I'll share this to inspire people to come up with their own stuff. But you want examples of brandable chunks, right? So uh, at Morris Jenkins in Charlotte, North Carolina, okay, uh, Dewey sold that company last year. And it took us 10 years, you know, to grow it from, you know, a couple of million dollars 
to 115 million a year. I mean, we, we have 500 trucks in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you know, working until midnight every night. And um, the first few years, we had a, an actor playing a technician, and we called him Bobby. And so a brandable chunk was every ad began with, Mr. Jenkins, yes, Bobby. And so they're, they're in the cab of a van, Mr. Jenkins, yes, Bobby. And then Bobby would say something hysterically funny. He was very naive, kind of a Forrest Gump kind of character. And he would say something it's like, how much should a hamster weigh? And Mr. Jenkins would say something like, well, well golly, Bobby, I, I don't really know. That's a, that's an unusual question. And he's holding the phone up to him. He goes, not for these people. They got one that's up to 72 pounds. You think maybe it's the Wolverine? And so what happens is uh, none of that has anything to do with air conditioning, does it? I mean, none of it. But when people would go online, they'll type in Mr. Jenkins and Bobby. Mr. Jenkins and Bobby became a brandable chunk. Mm, yeah. Because anything that leaps off of the radio or the television that sticks in your head, okay? And so for ghetto air conditioning, um, you know, Ken sold the, the majority of that company last year um, for $500 million. And we started, it took us six years and 11 months to grow from losing two and a half million a month, two and a half million a year, losing two and a half million a year, three years in a row, uh, trying to turn these companies around. Ken bought them when they were in bad, bad, bad shape and thought he could turn them around. It was really fighting it hard and convinced me to, to help him. And so six years and 11 months later, he, he sells a, a big chunk of it for 500 million bucks. And I, I decided it was totally different than Mr. Jenkins because Ken's history and his heritage and his relationship with his father, I mean, I just was spellbound. And I said, wow, I just need to put this in some ads. And so, um, the company over the years had invented some amazing stuff. There's actually a history channel special, a special on the history channel about ghetto air conditioning. And, and they didn't invent air conditioning, as you know, but they did perfect it to work in the desert. They made it infinitely more efficient than it had ever been. And, and uh, the original air conditioners would not work in the, uh, in the Sonoma Desert. And ghetto made them way better, infinitely better. And so 114 patents and Ken is a technology guy and he believes in precision and perfection and, and the right way, not the easy way. And so in, in most of the ads, um, we talked about, we do things the right way, not the easy way. Now that's a registered trademark. And you know what? You don't have to know how to spell gettle, which is G O E T T L. You just have to know the right way, not the easy way. And boom, that, chunk that phrase it's a brandable chunk it's a little chunk of a sentence it's a phrase and when people have these things and so a really 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 good ad campaign okay will have anywhere from five to eight brandable chunks and some are going to be stronger than others and some of them will only be chunks for a few years and then the narrative arc of the campaign and i'll explain what that is in just a second but the narrative arc of the campaign will leave behind some of the brandable chunks and some new chunks will emerge. So I want you to think of this like a television series or, yeah, think of it as a TV series. Um, 
any story, any story that you're telling, if it's an interesting story, will have what's called the narrative arc. And the narrative arc is A-R-C. Think of it like a rainbow, you know, an arc. And the narrative arc is the plot. It's the sequence of events. The narrative arc are the things that happen. And so anytime you're watching a really good movie or TV show or reading a really good novel, um, and then what happened? 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 It's the ongoing thing. You're always wondering, okay, what's about to happen? Oh, well, what's about to happen now? And then now what's going to happen? So you have to have a narrative arc. You have to have a plan for moving this story forward. And the characters in the story also evolve and change as time goes by. That's called the character arc. So the narrative arc is the plot. The character arc is how the people in the story are altered and changed and evolved as they encounter new people and new situations and solve new problems together and have new challenges and, and um, you know, little victories they celebrate. And so you get to know these people. You get to know these characters. And if it sounds like I'm saying that every good ad campaign has to be written in the same way you write a screenplay for a long-running television series, okay? That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, if got it, it sounds like that's what I'm saying, it's because it's exactly what I'm saying. And so you don't want to study advertising. You want to study, study screenwriting. Is this making any sense to you guys? No, I'm following it with you there. And it, it does make a lot of sense. You know, if anybody's into watching series, you know, binge watching a series or something like that, you know, where you're going through 20 separate episodes, you know, the character that starts at the beginning of the season is often not the same one that finishes because they evolve through it. And yet as you, as like you see that evolution happening over time through the different episodes and yet the same, you know, it's still the same guy, still the same actor, um, at the end, but so much has happened and it's the story that evolves with it that creates the memorable memorable piece that now you're attracted to that character because you've grown with them. And so it does the same to an advertising campaign. And see, here's the big problem that most people have. Um, most business people want to be perceived as professional and intelligent and committed and all of the rest of the Boy Scout Oath, okay? It's it's like a it's like a Hallmark card. It's like a little cardboard cutout. It's a little two dimensional hero figure, and it's like when you go into a um, when you go into a professional photography studio and they take your portrait, and that it looks like you sort of. But people who know you go, yeah, that you trying to look professional, you know, and serious, and you don't ever want that in an ad campaign, ever, 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 ever. You have to humanize the characters. You have to let people see you real. And you have to be vulnerable. You have to be transparent. You have to be willing to be laughed at. Um, wiener dogs. You have to cause, yeah, wiener dogs. You gotta be, you gotta, you gotta make people just feel like they know you and that they're comfortable with you. And so, uh, like for Ken Goodrich, when we got started, uh, in that six year and 11 month journey, um, I found out that he had this uh, Wheaton Terrier named Sadie. And Sadie, the Wheaton Terrier, stayed in his office all the time. And he observed over the years when he was hiring people that sometimes Sadie would go over and give her her Wheaton greet. And the Wheaton greet from the Wheaton Terrier is, is just very friendly, just, you know, happy. You've seen dogs do that. And then he said, sometimes somebody come in the room 
and Sadie would like go under his desk and hide or get back behind his chair and lay down and didn't want to engage with the person. And he noticed as time went by, if Sadie doesn't like them, they always are a horrible employee. It's like somehow dogs know who and what people are, you know, or at least a friendly dog. A dog that's, you know, always uptight and angry and protecting its territory, they bark at everybody. But a friendly dog, if a friendly dog isn't attracted to you, eh, there might be something wrong with you. Yeah, you're in trouble. So, <laughs> exactly. So what happened was I I found that out and I put it in. And it makes and then at the end of the other says, you know, I know that makes me sound crazy, but isn't it okay to be crazy about sending happy, well adjusted people into your home? Isn't isn't it okay to be crazy about making sure that you're gonna really like the people that show up? And I'm Sadie's never wrong. And so now, uh, you, you know I'm a little bit nuts. And so people Sadie is a brandable chunk. Sadie is a keyword. And when somebody types in Sadie air conditioning, they don't have to remember the name of Ken Goodrich. They don't have to remember the name of Gettle Air Conditioning. They just have to remember Sadie. See, Sadie's an important part of an ongoing story. And, and, the, and the loyalty program is called Sadie's Guard Dog Protection. Okay? And so Sadie is an important part of that brand. Now, you, you don't make this stuff up. You discover it. You discover it and you amplify it. And that's what I'm going to encourage your listeners to do. Don't copy another campaign because it will not ring true in the hearts of the readers, the listeners, the viewers. It just won't. It has to be. As a matter of fact, this is why when you look at all the campaigns I've done over the years for all the different companies, you will not find any similarity between any of them. There's nothing that ever gets, you know, reused. You start from scratch with every client and you have to figure out what did they have in the pantry? I'm here to cook a meal, but I'm not going to cook a meal with anything that they don't already have in the pantry. And so you do inventory. What have we got here? What have we got here? And you say, huh, that's interesting. And then you say, how can I use that? And you put together something that makes sense and actually is true. It is actually representative. So what you do there's a way to tell the truth a little more powerfully than what's completely accurate. Now, it's not exaggeration exactly. It's just knowing what to leave out. Because when people have all the details, it's tedious and boring. What they want is to find somebody that's very interesting and magnetically attractive. And the way that you do that is to pick four qualities. And two of those qualities have to absolutely contradict each other. I know that sounds confusing, but I could give you examples all day long of famous characters from TV and movies and books, and they have to have two things that you notice immediately about them, the two things contradict each other. And so whenever you find in your people that are going to speak on behalf of the brand, things that are already characteristics that they have, and then you amplify those, you amplify these characteristics, and so you're not showing people a an accurate snapshot of the business owners or the managers or the whoever's going to be in the ad. It's not an accurate, comprehensive photograph. It is more of a caricature. Like when you're on vacation and you're at the 
you know, a theme park and a guy draws your caricature. And what does he do? He picks out a few characteristics of you that are a little bit different than most people. And he exaggerates those. If you have small ears, he makes them little bit tiny ears. Or if you have almond-shaped eyes, he makes them very almond and extremely exaggerated. Just any little thing, you know, if you have high cheekbones, he makes them impossibly high, Mount Everest high. And so by exaggerating features, your friends go, oh, man, that looks more like you than you do. It's like, <laughs> and so whenever I talk about a character arc or, or, or a narrative arc, I'm not talking about telling lies. I'm talking about finding something that is in the pantry, something we have we can cook with. What, what does this business have that's a little bit weird, a little bit distinctive? And then you pick what you're going to amplify and you build the narrative arc and the character arc about who and what they really are. And so this is why I say it is bad business practice and legally very dangerous to copy somebody else's stuff. Number one, you're going to get in trouble. It's going to be very expensive to get out of trouble. I'm talking many, many hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes over a million bucks. Um, and number two, it ain't going to work for you. It isn't going to work for you. Now, if you want, I'll give you one last example. True, true example. I remember it like it happened yesterday, even though it was 20 plus years ago. And it's not air conditioning. It was from the jewelry business. Are you ready? Let's hear it. All right, you're ready. So what happened? <clears throat> I was in Walla Walla, Washington which is, by the way, the asparagus capital of the world. It says so right there in the water tower. It's a, it's a trade area of about 40,000 people. This is maybe yeah, almost 30 years ago. And so the owners of fifth-generation jewelry store, been there five generations, and they had kind of made a mistake when they redecorated. They put in, like, snow-white carpeting and then library paneling, you know, with the bats and the molding and, you know, looked like the Harvard Club. And they didn't have a vaulted ceiling, they had a domed ceiling, you know, like the state capitol or the national capitol, you know, big hemispherical dome ceiling, a 12-foot chandelier, crystal chandelier hanging this dome ceiling, 20 feet high. And it's, it's what you think Tiffany would look like. And they sold, you know, Rolex watches and the really fine stuff in town. I remember, there's a mall at the edge of town with four other jewelry stores in it. But this was on Main Street. It had been there for like 125 years. And this was 30 years ago. And so they were in trouble. And they said, you know, the, um, the ladies wanted to come in here. The, all the money in this area is farming, farming money. And here, we'll see them looking in the window at stuff. And, and we'll open the door. Hey, come on in. Come on in. Well, I'm not really, you know, I've got mud on the boots. And I don't really think I should come in. Now, these guys are very successful farmers are walking around with enough money in their pocket to buy a Duke Ford tractor with air conditioning and CD player. But you know what? They wouldn't come to the jewelry store because this was the fine, fancy store in town and nobody would come in. So I showed up and they hired me to try to get them out of there. They, they said, if we don't have a good Christmas, this is in like early October. If we don't have a good Christmas, we're, we might not make it. Because on January 10th, we've got to take all this inventory we ordered for Christmas. And if things continue like they have been, then this is an ugly picture. I said, okay. And the first thing they wanted to do is they wanted to say, now, our customer, let me, let me tell you who our customer is. You need to understand, our customer. See, our customer is a 40-year-old woman 
very educated, wearing very fine clothes, uh, doesn't have to work, but uh, if she does work, she's a very highly paid professional. And uh, there's successful people, 40-year-old women, a lot of fashion, very sophisticated. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. And I said, uh, you know what the problem is? And they said, what? And I said, well, this is a town of 40,000 people, and I can't crank a handle. I can't just, you know, run a crank and, and spit out 40-year-old rich women. And I said, I'm pretty sure that everybody in this town knows you're here. You've been here 125 years. And I said, I don't think we need to reach 40-year-old rich women. And they said, well, that's who, that's who buys from us. I said, yeah, and we've already established the point there's not enough of those. They said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'll tell you tomorrow. And I'm doing this for memory, but I, I came in, I, I, I read them the fad, and I said, we're going to run this between now and Christmas. And it said, ladies, many of you will be fortunate enough this Christmas to find a small but beautifully wrapped package under your tree bearing a simple gold seal that says Falkenberg. Now, you and I both know there's jewelry in the box. But the thing you need to know is this. The man who put it there for you is trying desperately to tell you that you are more precious than diamonds, more valuable than gold, and very, very special. You see, he could have gone to a department store and bought department store jewelry or picked up something at the mall like all the other husbands. But the men who come to Falkenbergs aren't trying to get off cheap or easy. Men who come to Falkenbergs believe their wives deserve the best. And whether they spend $99 or $9,900, the message is the same. You see, men who come to Falkenbergs are still very much in love. We just thought you should know. <laughs> and I read them the ad. <laughs> and I read them the ad, and they said, well, you didn't tell them where we're located. And I'm going, guys, Main Street is three blocks long. <laughs> and you're right in the center of Main Street. And it's a national landmark. It's been there for 125 years. And I said, I'm pretty sure people know you're here, which brings up a point. Listen, and I'm going to finish this story because I've only told you the first half of it, right? Because uh, we were talking about borrowing other people's advertising. And so um, <laughs> we we had a fantastic Christmas, unbelievable, record-setting Christmas. He said farmers were wedged in there like sardines, waving money at the price They're saying, hey, I don't care what, what goes in the box. Just make sure it's got that gold sticker. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> And so um, we were denounced from the pulpit of all the churches in town. You know why? Well, this is, this is what happens. Anything that has the power to move people, any message that really has the power to make people notice it and react, you're not going to move everybody in the direction you were hoping. If you're not getting some real big pushback, okay, this that isn't going to do much. You want to have more people re react positively than negatively, of course. But if you don't have some outliers that are just wildly negative and think you're the dumbest and most evil people in the world and frivolous and stupid or disingenuous or whatever, if you're not getting some of that, if you're not getting some real hate from the trolls, then your advertising isn't really doing what it could. And so what happened was when the churches, uh, just a few Sundays later, my brother, sister, I'm here to tell you, there's a retailer on the radio that would have you believe that your love can be measured 
by what's in a box. <laughs> but love is not measured by what's in a box. Love is measured by what's in your heart. And I'm going, I know that. You know that. Everybody knows that. <laughs> we just want, we just wanted to send a signal that said, hey, if he came to Falkenberg, you know he's out of his mind in love with you because right. this place is scary. This is a scary, expensive, high-class tour. And if he came in here, wow. that means, and, and so that made so much sense to people that they just did this fantastic record uh, Christmas. And so that's what I mean. I walked into a store, and the only thing distinctive is that they had horrifically over-decorated this thing this was decorated for, for Fifth Avenue in New York City, right? And they were in the asparagus capital of the world, and all the money was farmer's money, right? And it's an easy mistake to make. If you're sophisticated and classy, you think you need to have a store that's sophisticated and classy, right? Or if you're really professional and highly educated, they think that you need to look and act professional and highly educated. And I'm going, interestingly, no one's attracted to that. <laughs> it's just not a thing people are looking for. And so what happened? With that ad, a year later, um, I got a call from a fellow in Falls River, Massachusetts. And he pushed his way past the gatekeeper to talk to me. And he said, are you the one that calls himself the wizard? And I said, well, sort of, yeah. I said, um, I don't call myself the wizard, but I'm, I'm known as the wizard of Ed. Well, I've got a bone to pick with you. I said, who is this? Well, I'll tell you what. I got one of them wizard ads that's supposed to work. It was one of them ads that's supposed to work. And I'm telling you, I had the worst Christmas that I've ever had. And I said, man, have we ever spoken? I, I can't imagine what ad you could be talking about. I don't think I could have written the ads for you. Well, no, no, it's one of them wizard ads that worked. And I got it from my buddy. And he told me who his buddy was. And he says, he had a real good Christmas last year. And he gave me a copy of that ad. And it was the ad I just I just quoted to you, okay? And I said, well, hey, I said, um, are you the scary, intimidating, expensive, high-class store in town that everybody's afraid to come in? He goes, no, not at all. And I said, well, no, the ad did work because whoever the high-class, expensive store is, they had a tremendous Christmas thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I said, the bottom line is, you can't say just because it worked for those other people, it will work for me because ads that are portable, okay, that's what I call category specific. Well, this is a good working furniture store ad. Maybe it works for furniture stores. And if it'll work for this furniture store, it'll work for years too. That's what's called category specific. And category specific ads <sighs> never work. They just really are pointless. Anything that is transferable and portable can't really be unique, surprising, and different. It, does that make sense to you guys? It can't be new. It can't be surprising. It can't be different if it's true of everyone in the category, which is why you look in the pantry for something completely unique. You look for something in this business, three, four, five, six things that are just weird. And it's like I put people on the radio that don't belong on the radio. Do you know why? Because they sound like they don't belong on the radio. And they get a lot of attention. And it's like, well, that doesn't sound very professional. Yes, that's the point entirely. And so you have to have a lot of courage to do good advertising. And so the, 
the, the thing I kind of wanted to wrap up with as we move towards the finish line is that whenever you are, are building an ad campaign, say, man, I've never heard anybody do anything like this before, then you're on the right track. And if you're getting some real negative pushback from people, you're on the right track. And if some of the people close to you saying, oh, I think that I wouldn't do this, you're going to offend these people, and you're going to upset those people, and, and people might say this about you, and it's like, okay. When people close to you tell you that you're, you're doing the wrong thing, then you're probably on the right track. And nobody can really wrap their head around that until they've done it and they've seen what happens. Because differentiating yourself in your category is, is um, one of the primary goals of advertising is there's the category and then there's you. And um, I said there's category-specific ads and then there's what's called product-specific ads. Now, product-specific ads are portable. Uh, an ad that will work for a particular product will work for that product no matter who sells it. But here's the problem. You can't build a company on a product-specific ad because that will work for everybody that sells that product, not just for you. I'll give you an example of that in a minute. The last thing is we've been talking about client-specific ads, business-specific. And so the ad that uh, Charlie and Peter, the ads that Charlie and Peter are writing for you guys, they're unique to your business. They only work for you. They're all about you and your company. And then the ads that so well, it's true of all client specific or you know business specific ads. You never want to do category specific ads. You know, this is one of them air conditioning ads that works. It worked for Ralph. It'll work for me too. Those are bad ads. And if you can't get client specific or business specific ads, um, many years ago, um, I had a well. We still have a lot of Rolex. Authorized, you know, official Rolex jewelers is the technical name. Official Rolex jewelers, um, it's unbelievably hard to get that product line. And we represent a lot of them across the U.S. and Canada. And so we can write um, a product-specific ad. It will work for everybody that sells that product. And the very first one of those I ever wrote um, set a record for selling more Rolex watches in 90 days per capita in this little town where we tested it, uh, than it had ever been sold before. You know, the number of watches sold per capita in three months. And so the ad went like this. Um, you are standing on the snow, five and one half miles above sea level, gazing at a horizon hundreds of miles away. It occurs to you that life here is very simple. You live or you die. No compromises, no whining, no second chances. This is a place constantly ravaged by wind and storm, where every ragged breath is an accomplishment. You stand on the uppermost pinnacle of the earth. This is the mountain they call Everest. Yesterday it was considered unbeatable, but that was yesterday. As Edmund Hillary surveyed the horizon from the peak of Mount Everest, he monitored the time on a wristwatch that had been specifically designed to withstand the fury of the world's most angry mountain. Rolex believed Sir Edmund would conquer the mountain, and especially for him, they created the Rolex Explorer. In every life, there's a Mount Everest to be conquered. When you have conquered yours, you will find your Rolex waiting patiently for you to come and pick it up at Justice Jewelers. I'm Woody Justice, and I've got a Rolex for you. 
<laughs> That's so, great. <laughs> that, that was a transfer of the ownership to watch in 60 seconds. And people were literally coming in the store going, which one is mine? Which one's my Rolex? Mm, <laughs> right. And what do you say? Well, you, you'll, you'll know it when you see it. You'll know, you'll know it when you see it. And they said, well, I, I believe it's that one right there. How much is that? And we were selling Rolexes of people living in mobile homes. You know, what makes Springfield interesting is it's in the bottom 10% of per capita income in the United States of America. Wow. And so the point is good advertising, guys, good advertising is not about your product or your service. It's not about you, your company, your fast, fair, and friendly service. It's not about, it's not about you. And so the vast majority of ads are about I, me, we, our, our company. We do this, blah, 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 blah. And here's what's crazy. If you believe it's all about you and you write ads that are all about you and your company and what makes you special, I'm going to give you a quarter. Go find an old pay phone. Call your mom. She cares. The public doesn't care about you, your company, your product, your service. Good advertising, good advertising is about the customer, the reader, the listener, the viewer. Now, here's what made that Rolex ad interesting. Gentlemen, there's only nine sentences that you can construct in the English language. That's a, that's a, strange, that's a strange statement, isn't it? There are only nine sentences you can construct. Okay, You're going to so, make a choice. Yeah, let, let's you hear that. You want, you, want, you, want you want to guess? Go ahead, go ahead and guess. Uh, what the nine sentences are? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head. I'd be thinking like a question, a statement, uh, an inference. I don't, I don't know. I'm not. I'm just scratching Those are that straws here. Good guesses. Those are solid, solid guesses. Nice, bro. I'm, nice, I'm, Nate. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> Nate, you have a future as, as an ad writer. Okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> no, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. Consciously or unconsciously, you're either going to choose past tense, present tense, or future tense verbs. Okay? I am standing in the snow. I was standing in the snow. I will be standing in the snow. Okay? And then there's first person, second person, third person perspective. I is first person. I, me, my, we, our. That's first person. Second person is you, the listener. Third person is they or them. Not me, not you, but someone else. And so every sentence you're going to choose, consciously or unconsciously, first, second, or third person, perspective. You're going to choose past, present, or future tense verbs. Now, the Rolex ad is very arresting because it is the most rare of the nine sentences. And it is second person perspective, present tense verbs. It's happening to you, the listener, and it's happening right now. It's hard to look away when the story is about you and something is happening to you and it's happening right now. So when you open by saying, you are standing in the snow, 
five and one half miles above sea level, gazing at a horizon hundreds of miles away. It occurs to you that life here is very simple. Oh, wait a minute, the word occurs. That's a present tense verb. It will occur would be future tense. It did occur would be past tense, but it occurs to you that life here is very simple. It's happening, it's happening right now, and it's happening to you. You can write any ad using second person perspective and present tense verbs, and it's very captivating, but it's the high rope without a net. It is the trickiest. If it works, it works miraculously, but if you don't handle the structure of the sentences and the, pro the progress of the narrative arc, if you don't handle it just right, it comes across as very manipulative and phony. And so I share these things with you guys because advertising is counterintuitive. Everybody thinks we need to tell people about our company. I'm going, no, they learn about your company while you're telling them these entertaining little stories that are just by definition interesting. You're interested in a guy who sits in a truck in the middle of the night with a technician waiting for the phone to ring. Mr. Jenkins? Yes, Bobby. You're interested in a guy who remembers what his father told him when he was 10 years old and is always talking about his dad and his dog. And he thinks his dog is a wonderful judge of people. And that's just an interesting person. And <laughs> you can't exactly figure them out. But at the same time, you're, you're, you're drawn to them. And you're going to see what happens next in their story. And so at the risk of being pedantic, I know I've talked nonstop and you guys uh, you haven't given you the opportunity to get a word in edgewise. We, we hear each other well. enough, Roy, and, and our audience <laughs> is probably sick of this too. It's all we good. Keep going. <laughs> well, so no, um, I'm going to let you ask whatever you want and, um, and I'll, I'll try to answer as concisely as I possibly can. Well, Roy, I mean, what you just dropped there is just incredible. The concepts are so succinct and so impactful and the authenticity of what you're conveying there lines up with the authenticity that you're trying to deliver in the ads themselves. And I want to pivot from that standpoint and go into the technicians because we have a lot of people listen to this show that are frontline people. They're literally the person driving to the home right now, thinking about how they're going to differentiate themselves from every Tom, Dick and Harry that's been out there before or will be out there or that they have to compete against to get out there right now. How can they create the same impactful authenticity uh, or authentic experience when they're in the home as a as a company of one? You know, they may be working for a company of 500, but right now in front of the client, they are a company of one trying to serve that homeowner. And how can they do that in an impactful way? Okay, it, this is going to sound like an evasive answer, but I promise it's not. It's the only answer that actually works is remember when I said good advertising is always about the customer. Yeah. And most business owners, when they first start talking to an advertising professional, they always want to say, man, if the customer only understood, they would all choose us. We need to educate the customer. We need to educate the customer. I go, no, 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 that never worked. Um, the customer didn't wake up this morning saying, what I need is an education about the air conditioning business. Um, they already have thoughts and feelings about the air conditioning business. They have hopes about the air conditioning business. They have expectations about the air conditioning business or the jewelry business or any other business. And the answer to your question is this. If you can simply be 
what they were hoping for. You can simply be what they were secretly expecting. And they have something in their mind. They have something in their mind. And if you put yourself in the shoes of the customer and you say, what were they hoping for whenever they called? What were they wishing would happen? And be what they were hoping for. Be what they were expecting. And let's, the three of us, instead of me just, just listing it for you, go there in your mind, be the customer. There's a problem at home. Something isn't working right. And I, I tend to oversimplify things, but either something isn't doing what it's supposed to do, or it's doing something it's not supposed to do. Those are the only two problems. Am I right? You got it. And, and, and I, so whether it's plumbing or whether <laughs> plumbing or electrical or heating and air conditioning, either it's doing something it's not supposed to or it's not doing something it is supposed to. So they call your company or, or the, the company that, that the listener right now is, is working for. So what is the customer hoping for? So I, at the risk of, you know, missing your point, I, I would argue that most trades companies, I mean, if they're in business for a reason, they're going to go fix the problem. Now, not all of them are going to fix it the right way the first time. And, you know, certainly that plays a massive impact. But like, yeah, as I'm, as I'm contemplating what you're asking there, what does the client want? Well, I want it fixed. I want it fixed now. I want it fixed for as hopefully inexpensive or uh, as, as little dollars out of my wallet as possible. And I want life to return to normal like immediately. In fact, if I could, I'd rather go back and avoid this entire situation altogether. But aren't exactly. there, aren't there 35 that's, different ways of arriving at that point And some of them are more admirable than others. No, not really. Um, let's, let's break it down. And, and let's see if you can find exceptions is what I'm about to say, present me with the exceptions and we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, I'm going to take you to one under got junk. I've been working with Brian Scudamore and, and his three franchises, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Shack Shine, and uh, WOW One Day Painting. And uh, we're sneaking up on a billion dollars this year. Um, we were doing $97 million when I got started. It took them 23 years to get to $97 million. And then it took us uh, three years to jump from 97 to $225 million. And then that was about a decade ago. And the one thing that I have to, I don't have to anymore, but once upon a time, the franchise partner said, man, you know, you need to explain, you know, we come in and we pick it up and we carry it to the truck and we load it. Man, we should have some video showing how hard our guys work, picking this stuff up and carrying it down the stairs and making sure they don't bump the walls and all this kind of stuff. And I said, no, that's process. The process doesn't interest people. The outcome is what they want. And so in all those ads, you've ever heard them for ever since I got started, uh, we make junk disappear. All you have to do is point. And it's magical. We make junk disappear. All you have to do is point. I said, you know what they would like even better than somebody showing up and in just minutes, the junk is gone and where the junk was is all swept up and seams and, you know, there's no debris remaining, you know, there's no spot that marks where the junk used to be. And they're all trying to do that. And I said, man, if we're only there for just a few minutes, 
aren't they going to feel like they paid a lot of money for something that, that didn't take very long? I said, no. They would actually be happier if they didn't even have to open the door. If we just slowed down as we drove past and the junk magically transported <laughs> itself from their house into our truck, they would be even happier That's about that. so true. They would pay more <laughs> if they did this. And so what I'm saying is, okay, so when you show up, okay, they don't want you to disrupt their household. They don't want to sit there and have a long conversation with you. They don't want you to ask them about the family, the vacation, the dog. Hey, listen, if they needed a friend, they'd buy a dog. They didn't call to make a friend. They called to get a problem solved. And you want to be as non-demanding. If you come in with a big personality, you're backslapping and shaking hands and making sure that you bond with these people and you think it's all about you and your personality and you're a people person and you really care and you need to demonstrate to them how much better and smarter and more honest you are than everybody else. Get any idea how many service people think that's what the situation calls for. Now, here's how other people would do it, but they're crooks. Here's how I'm going to do it because I'm not a crook. I care about you. Man, people don't want to hear that. But I have heard that sort of thing for nearly 50 years. I mean, I have to hire tradespeople to come uh, to my place, right? And, um, and that's something that everybody thinks they need to do. And I go, no, 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 no. You need, your footfalls need to be silent and you need to be smiling and soft-spoken and you need to have the minimum amount of contact and be there the minimum amount of time. Think of a really good waiter in a restaurant, a really good waiter in a restaurant. They don't come over to you and say, hey, you guys having a good day? I'm having a pretty good day. Uh, got, got my teeth pulled yesterday and that hurt, but I'm, I'm better today. That was actually said to me by a waiter recently. He actually wanted to talk to me about the dentist. Mm. His dental appointment yesterday. I'm getting ready to eat. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, really? And see, he, he, for some reason, wanted to make a connect. Well, I know why it was. I'm, Locally, people know that I leave astoundingly large tips. But I'm really, really glad I don't have to wait tables. And so <laughs> you can make a waiter's day or you can make a waitress's day by just leaving them an astounding tip. I knew what he was doing. He was going about it the wrong way because the waiter everybody wants is the one that comes over, and if you ask them a question, they answer the question. See, what, what are you good here? Oh, such and such is really amazing, and such and such is really good. And so if you answer the question as asked and only if asked, and if you just come and go and make sure that everything's being handled, and it's just like a, a miracle. It's just like, huh. Now, all of a sudden, even though you weren't really up in their face and you weren't really demanding any attention, you were doing the opposite of that. You were just being this invisible thing that makes the problem go away. And then says, okay, here's what it was. Here's what I did to correct it. And this is how much, uh, here's, the, here's the bill. And then if they ask a question, you answer it. If they don't ask a question, you don't. But all of a sudden, you came and go, you come and go effortlessly, quietly, seamlessly, with no friction. You don't want to create moments of friction to create drama and intrigue and interest and try to connect with, make a bond or connect with people. That's what bad sales trainers teach you. They teach you to try to connect with those people. And I'm going, nope. People aren't looking for that. They're just looking for the problem to quickly, effortlessly, painlessly go away. And they don't want you to come and disrupt their household. 
and they want you to show up exactly when you said you were going to be there. Let me tell you how to destroy a business. You destroy a business when you say, we'll be there sometime between uh, 9 a.m. and noon. Can you narrow that down for me? No. And then just before noon, you call. We're running behind. We'll be there somewhere between 1 and 5. And that's how you destroy a business, guys. Well, you know, you just never know how long something's going to take. And, we're, you know, we got just got so many people and just got so many trucks. And I'm going, so hire more people and buy more trucks. you got to show up where you said you were going to be, when you said you were going to be there. And if you do that, people will love you. Be the company. Be the technician they were secretly hoping for. They were secretly hoping for somebody that would be there exactly when they said they were going to arrive. They know what they're doing. They don't try to drag you into the problem. Well, come on, Grandma. I'll show you what's going on here. I'll show you what's broken. And here's what's happening. Nobody wants to know that. If they do want to know, they will tell you. Can you show me what the problem is? Can you show me what was happening? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Step right over here. Boom. Answer the questions as asked. Don't answer questions that no one is asking. Is this making sense to you guys? It isn't about you. It's about the customer. It's about what they want. And so all the training is usually given by people that are extroverted, and there's an extroverted worldview. You know what I mean? Go in there, take control of the situation, take control, and you need to make sure that people understand how serious this problem is. And I'm going, nope, that's not how you sell so, so the, did that make sense? Absolutely. Or, and, and or do you have a, a different perspective? The, the, the tri-brands were a part of and that, you know, from what I understand, you were influential in, in building. They all have that motto, one hour is always on time or you don't pay a dime. Mr. Sparky is the on-time mm-hmm. electrician and Benjamin Franklin Plumbing is the punctual plumber. Yeah, in fact. Yeah, uh, Benjamin Franklin, the punctual plumber, right. Brian's wearing a, a Ben Franklin um, shirt right now. I'm wearing a one-hour one. I think Brian has his Mr. Sparky <laughs> boxers on today, so. <laughs> Socks. Socks. Oh, they're socks. I did not know there were Mr. Sparky boxes. Now, listen, I had nothing to do with Mr. Sparky. That was just an acquisition. But this whole thing got started. Uh, Jim Abrams and John Young uh, came to my little office in, in Austin, Texas, many, many years ago. And they had already built, um, I think it was Service Expert. And they went public on the New York Stock Exchange. And, and you know, um, at one time, their first company had more trucks on the road than UPS. But the problem was they would buy up these air conditioning companies and then let them continue operating under their own names. And so even though they had a world, a nationwide company, it had a different name in every town. And nobody knew this is a nationwide company. Okay. And so when the non-compete had expired, it's like three or four years after they sold it, they said, let's do that again. But this time, let's get everybody all driving the same trucks and wearing the same uniforms. Let's actually have a national brand. And that's when they showed up in my office. They said, we're going to do this again, and you're the brand guy. And um, so Jim owned a house, maybe he still does, uh, in Sarasota. And it was amazing because Sarasota, there's a little island, and this is a house that extends out over the water. Literally, it's on piers. Uh, the front door is on land. But as you walk toward this big, beautiful open air, it's like being in Hawaii. And the little breeze is blowing, the curtains are blowing, it's gorgeous. It was built in the 1920s by Cecil B. DeMille, the famous, I think, MGM Hollywood producer. 
this would be the mill, built this thing. It was the only house on the island. And well, it was grandfathered, of course, but now you have to be like 50 or 100 feet back from the beach or 150 feet. I don't know. You have to be way back from the beach. You can't build right on the beach out over the water. And so we were there for three days. Uh, my wife and I flew down. And me and Jim and John brainstormed and came up with one-hour heating and air conditioning. And then they launched it and did fantastic. And uh, there was a big thing in St. Louis, and I spoke at it for a few hours, and uh, which I never, ever, ever do anymore. I just refuse to travel under any circumstances. Oh, we were going to ask about the next, next podcast being live, but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> no, no, what happens is people uh, – people come to Austin now instead of going to where they are. I just, way too much time in airports, way too much time in hotel rooms. I decided a number of years ago, I'm just not ever doing that again. But back in these days, um, we did that. And then they came along and said, okay, now we want to start a plumbing thing. And that happened in Austin at my facility. And then uh, they acquired Mr. Sparky just as, a, as an acquisition. And then when they sold it to private equity, um, I have a lifelong rule. I never work with private equity. Nope. I work for the owners, the operators. And if there's not a single individual with unconditional authority to say absolutely yes. Now keep in mind, guys, lots and lots and lots of people in the company have the power to say no. Uh, the person who answers the telephone has the power to say no. But man, you have to have real authority to be able to say yes and not have to check with someone. Now, whenever private equity steps in, you're working with a committee, whether you want to or not. And so I have always, always, always left. I've had lots of companies sold out from under me. They get so big that private equity sweeps in and the jewelry business and air conditioning, both plumbing, all the, all the, the trades. Now, even though 1-800-GOT-JUNK is almost a billion dollars, you're still owned by Brian Scudamore. I talked to Brian. Brian can do anything Brian wants to do, and there will never be a private equity company by that because Brian's never going to sell it. So you can work with some big companies where one person still has complete authority, but whenever you have to sell it to a group of people, okay, they're going to bring you to the center. They're going to water it down. They're going to make you normal, and they're going to make you average. And you have to have a very courageous non-traditional, somewhat defiant personality to agree to an ad campaign that is going to be distinctive and memorable. It's going to be new, surprising, and different. And that is essential to creating a good ad campaign. So, again, I've been rambling and ranting for too long, but did we, did we answer the question about what the customer wants, or do you guys have a different perspective on that? I don't have a different perspective at all. I, I think uh, we, we didn't really talk about your Wizard of Ads. Um, it, that is what the podcast is called, but it's your Monday morning memo that gets read. And it's like a six, six seven minute a week podcast. Yeah, the Monday morning memo um, started as, you know, I had a few too many clients. I had more than I could um, could actually stay in touch with on a weekly basis. But, you know, realistically, if you have a real plan, you don't need to t talk to your clients every week. But I wanted them to feel like I had touched base with them. And so I just started sending out this fax. This was pre-internet. <laughs> then they started saying, oh, my friend saw this little fax. He said, oh, he wanted to know if he could get on the mailing list. And pretty soon, 
paying, um, I had a flat rate for long distance calls. I'm like, guys, how long ago was that? Whenever you had to pay for long distance calls. And uh, there was no internet. There was no voice over IP. And so I had a flat rate for 25 cents per fax, as long as it was a one-sheet fax. So all the chapters in my Wizard of Edge trilogy are all the same length. And it's the, the number of words that you can put on an 11, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper at uh, 11 point type. <laughs> and <Wow>. so <laughs> it turned out, uh, you know, we have 100 chapters in each book and they're very short little chapters. So it's like eating potato chips. Yeah, this is on, you know, page and a half. I'll go ahead and read it. And then, yeah, I'll go ahead and read this next one too. And pretty soon they've gone through the whole book. You know, they've been there two and a half hours. Never, never having planned to read the whole thing. And so we've been gathering up Monday morning memos since 1994. And um, then when we had published the, the trilogy, and it was, as you know, New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestsellers, we started building the campus. And uh, we've now been building uh, nonstop since 2000. So how many years is that? What, 22 years? Yeah. Uh, we've had a construction crew building nonstop on uh, 31 acres. And uh, now that I've turned the school over to uh, a new chancellor a couple of years ago, I'm back into uh, writing again. But yeah, the Monday morning memo is just a thing that I write in the middle of the night about whatever's on my mind. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I, I personally get a lot out of it. And I would say the one that I, well, in a lot of ways, because frankly, I'm a, not to sound like a Neanderthal, but I'm uh, an uneducated third-generation plumber who dropped out of high school in a Detroit public school at 16 and got my GED at 32 in a rehab facility. So I, I poorly educated, had no appreciation for the arts in any way, shape, or form, and kind of almost a disdain for them because it's always seemed like uh-huh. you either are that or you are a trades person, you know? Right. Um, yeah. But listening to to your and I only I only came upon it after listening to Peter's uh, to to your episode on your first two part episode on Peter's podcast, and mm-hmm. uh, I just thought, wow, this was this was really cool, deep stuff. So I searched for you in the in the Apple iTunes app, and then came upon the Monday Morning Memo, and then just over the last couple months, have probably I don't know how many years back I am, but. But certainly the, and so it's given me like an appreciation for like when you talk about the arts and stuff in that podcast, I'm like, Mm -hmm. it, it, it's starting to make sense to me. So I can't even, I can't even describe the impact that those little seven minute snippets have had on me, but. Well, good. That's good. Um, And the education thing, I I was quietly laughing when you were talking about that because your background's uh, only in very, very minor ways different than mine. Um, I didn't drop out of high school, but I did graduate in the bottom one third of my class um, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Here's what you want to do. The podcast is, is I've actually never listened to it. Uh, I walk into the studio. Oh, you're missing out. It, but, <laughs> you, 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 want to, you, want to, um, you want to actually go to mondaymorningmemo.com. Mondaymorningmemo.com. And what happens is, there is a there's vast amounts of interesting stuff 
if you look at the top of the Monday morning memo, there's always an illustration. And usually there's a little, there's a dog there named Indy Beagle, Indiana Beagle, and, and Indy Beagle and his tiny tribe. The tiny tribe are these little characters. And if they're not at the top at the illustration, because every memo has a different picture at the top. Well, if you click that picture, it takes you to a hidden page, which is the first page of what's called the rabbit hole. Now, the rabbit hole, every image in the rabbit hole, if you click it, it takes you one page deeper. Sometimes a rabbit hole is eight or nine or ten pages. Sometimes a rabbit hole is 20 or 25 or 27 pages. And every page has something really interesting there. And so if a person reads the Monday Morning Memo, they can click the image at the top, go into the rabbit hole, and every week the rabbit hole is different. And so if you, can, if you go to Monday Morning Memo, you can look in the archives. And you click the little button that says archives, and you can go back 20 years. And 20 years of Monday Morning Memos are there, and you can just scroll the titles of each one. And so um, this week, it is one, uh, the title of the memo was Gerald. Gerald. And you read about Gerald. And then next week, um, the memo is called, um, and it, this is, it, I'm on a little bit of a, have a little bit of a jag right now. Um, I'm studying personalities. And so one was Gerald, and this week's is called uh, Seven Guys Named Francis. Seven Guys Named Francis. And what you learn about each of these seven guys named Francis, and they're real people, by the way, um, and, and at the end of it, you go, aha, uh -huh, that's kind of interesting. And the story begins in the Monday Morning Memo, but you have to click the image at the top to go into the rabbit hole to get the real deep stories about each of these guys named Francis. They're all very, very interesting people. And so sometimes I teach something in the memo, and the one that comes out next week, I open it by saying, uh, I'm going to be upfront about this. I'm not going to teach you anything valuable or useful today. <laughs> but don't, <laughs> don't, 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 let that keep, don't let that keep you from continuing. Oh, it's not, it's not the slightest bit true. <laughs> I've heard yeah, many where you did that. And I'm like, yeah, he was full of crap in the beginning there. <laughs> well, what happens is, is people are looking for like, give me something actionable. Give me some tips that I can activate, you know, and it's like, they want me to explain to them how to, how to do this, how to do that. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. This is shocking. This is shocking. But whenever you're working with technicians and you're training, you know, technicians, or um, even uh, with my clients, even though some of these people are extraordinarily successful and wealthy, I tell my partners, and I, I tell myself this every day, people don't need your advice nearly as much as they need your encouragement. And if you just always remember, everybody has a little tiny voice down deep inside them. And that voice is always whispering. If other people knew you the way that I know you, they would know what a phony you are. It's called imposter syndrome. And no matter how successful a person is, they have a little voice down inside them. They always feel like they're falling short. They always feel like they don't deserve their success. And they always feel like, wow, one of these days people are going to realize that I'm not who or what they think I am, and I'm going to be exposed as, you know, 
something much smaller and much less impressive than what people think I am. And when you realize that's down inside of every person, and it's, it's, it's a louder voice in the more successful people. And so when you realize, man, people need your encouragement even more than they need your advice. I don't mean flattery. I mean genuine encouragement. And to encourage somebody, you have to find out something about, you have to learn something about them that's absolutely true and very remarkable, and you tell them something that really impresses you about them. And you mean it when you say it because it's true. And when you tell something, somebody something that, that says, I think this is your superpower. I think this is what you're like really, really good at. They know they're good at that. Nobody's ever said it to them before. And what you will find is you can get people to rise to their full height and you can get them to be their biggest and best self with just a little bit of encouragement. But what everybody thinks they need is instruction and policies and procedures and detailed how-to. Um, do you know why people get trained and they get lots and lots of training and you train your employees and you train and train and train and train and they still don't do what you train them to do? Do you know why that is? It's because you cannot change a person's behavior until you have first changed their beliefs. And their beliefs will always drive their behavior. And so when you understand what they believe down deep dictates their behavior, not your training. And so causing them to believe something different about themselves, to cause them to believe something different about their company than what they currently believe, that's what creates amazing, high productive, high loyal, high loyalty, high retention employees. This is, they feel like they belong. This is where I belong. I'm a part of this thing. I resonate with this. This is the place that gives me satisfaction. And so the single biggest problem, as you guys I'm sure know, in the home services right now, is recruitment and retention of good employees. It's a gigantic problem. Recruitment and retention of good employees. And you know what the problem always is? Culture. Company culture. And a lot of people think they have a culture when all they really have are some buzzwords and they have a common vocabulary among themselves and they have a policy and procedures manual. And that's not a culture. A culture is a tribe, a culture is a fraternity, it's a, an affinity group. It is a bunch of people that feel like we're all in this together and we belong here and this is who we are and this is how we do. And whenever they have that sense of camaraderie, um, they share an identity, they share a purpose, and they share an adventure. Identity, who am I? Purpose, what am I here to do? Adventure, what must I overcome? Identity, purpose, adventure. And those are the three things that everybody goes through their whole life trying to answer those three questions. Who am I? Where do I belong? Where is my tribe? Who are my people? Number two, what is it I'm supposed to do? What, what am I here to do? What is my job? Why, why was I born? That's your purpose. When they feel like they have found their purpose and then they see the things they have to overcome as their adventure. This is our adventure. This is the thing we have to overcome. This is the problem we have to solve. Then life is happy. Life is good. Life is satisfying. And when a company can give a person a strong sense of identity and purpose and adventure, 
they will create a team that will play together and stay together and be incredibly successful together. Does this stuff make sense to you guys? Wow, we yeah. just the rant of an old man. It, it really is awesome with the, it's who am I, what is my tribe, or who is my tribe, my group, or affinity group, right? and what am I here yeah. to do? And the, yeah. being able to check those three Identity, boxes purpose, with the adventure. team. Adventure is what must I overcome. And so, uh, you know, who am I? That's identity. What is my purpose? That's purpose. You know, what am I here to do? That's purpose. Now, what must I overcome? What is the challenge I have to overcome? What is the problem I have to solve? And so you will always get up every day and face a new adventure. And I'll wrap it up with this, and i gotta, I got to scamper. I've burned up too much of your listeners' time already. Um, but John Steinbeck um, is a writer that I've studied most of my life. I uh, won the Pulitzer and the Nobel Prize in Literature. And there's a book called A Life of Letters. And it's a big, fat book. And it's all the private correspondence of John Steinbeck. After he died, his wife compiled all the letters he had ever written to his friends, private letters to his friends, 50 years' worth of letters. And this man, he could write a grocery list. And it would be mesmerizing. I mean, it was like, the little private letters he would write to family and friends were just so amazing. And my favorite, um, Pascal Covici was his editor his whole life, John's whole life. And he, and he called him Pat. And he, and he wrote this note that said, Pat, I woke up last night and with a pencil in the darkness, I wrote a dialogue between St. George and the dragon. Forever linked together, those two. St. George must always kill the dragon, and the dragon must forever be killed. Because if the dragon were ever finally killed, there would be nothing left but a lonely man looking for something to do. And I said to myself, wow, that is true of all of us. You know, uh, for England and St. George, it's what the British would always cry when they went into battle. You know, it's kind of like, remember the Alamo. For England and St. George, was St. George killed the dragon was this, you know, thing that supposedly happened a thousand years ago or something. And it's a story. And that's the only thing we know about St. George, is that he killed this dragon that was terrorizing the village. Well... St. George must always kill that dragon. That dragon must forever be killed because if that dragon were ever finally killed, there would be nothing left but a lonely St. George looking for something to do. We hate problems, but we love adventure. Did you know the distinguishing fact of every adventure is that it has a problem, a crisis, a danger that is imminent? Without danger, without a problem, without a crisis, there can be no adventure. When you're having an adventure, you wish you were safe at home. But when you are safe at home, you wish you were having an adventure. And so identity, who am I, purpose, why am I here, what am I supposed to do, an adventure, what must I overcome? What is the challenge that I face? What is the problem that I have to solve today? 
And when you begin looking at those problems and those challenges and those difficult people and difficult situations in your life as an adventure, that you have to somehow survive and thrive in this adventure. And when you have lived through this adventure, you will face another one. And that's called life. And so the key to be happy is to recognize, find your tribe, decide what is you're here to do, and then relish the adventure. Gentlemen, I'm going to go, but thanks for letting me be on your show. And uh, I look forward to hearing good things. Roy, it has been our pleasure to have you on. We are so grateful for not only what you shared with us and our listeners, but what you uh, have done for the industry, for the marketing industry as a whole, and, and for specifically for our industry and the trades. We're very grateful for that, and we look forward to more impact that you have to give. Yeah, I'm not sure you really comprehend the impact you've had on the industry, but I, but I do consider you one of the founding fathers of the way business is done in the HVAC, plumbing, and electrical f- uh, fields these days. So Yeah, I was, I was completely unaware of that. I live in my own weird little private world, <laughs> and, um, and I'm, I'm largely unaware of what other people think or, or say. But thank you for saying that. Thank you. Um, even if it's not true, it makes me feel good. Well, thanks, you, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate you coming on, Roy. See you, see you later. Bye-bye. What a great way to wrap up the episode there as Roy was just going on uh, with pearls of wisdom about life and, and what it is that we are pursuing. And I think there's so much to digest in this episode that, uh, and we were all over the place, but all of it just really impactful and relevant information from advertising to what you can do to differentiate yourself in the home to just great life advice. It was a privilege to have Roy on. Uh, Make sure that you check out uh, all of the resources that he has, especially that um, mondaymorningmemo.com website and the the things that go with that. Fantastic information there. Uh, If you're looking to improve yourself, we hope that this is the one of the ways, one of the ways that you are doing it by listening to this podcast, but please diversify your listening and diversify your reading and your influence uh, and make sure that you're finding people who are challenging you to get better, who are challenging you to expand your mind, to not settle on your laurels, uh, to not be satisfied or complacent with where you are, but always pursuing something more. And uh, we hope that we're playing a small part in that. Leave us a a review, uh, shoot us a comment, hit us up on Facebook or any of the other places where we are and let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like to hear in the future. And of course, uh, we hope that we are bringing encouragement to you. That's it for this podcast. We want to leave you with our challenge as we always do, which is to choose to wake up every single morning and waste no day. 